Welcome to Cinebabble, episode 74. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, infamous Chinese weather balloon, Clint Jones. Clint Jones, how's your trek across the country ending? It's, I mean, it's been a slow trek. I've just been kind of, you know, floating around up here, sure, sure. like just seeing the sights, you know, all the, all the sights of America. Yeah. You know like, what my favorite thing about this is, Clint? Yeah. This Chinese, weather, this weather balloon, spy balloon or whatever, mm-hmm. is people are freaking out yeah. on uh, everything from TikTok to Instagram to it's, it's all over the internet. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that because on their Chinese made phones, using apps that are largely developed in China, particularly. Particularly TikTok, uh, they're yeah. they're they're so concerned about this giant balloon and what it might see, mm-hmm. rather than they're the, TikToking the, about it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the obvious path to actually spying on an entire culture. Yeah. in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. Uh, the irony is just so thick. Uh, I kind of love it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm glad we're keeping our political. Um, commentary going from last episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, if, if you didn't hear our plug last week, uh, our sister podcast, Clinton Ken, examine <laughs> politics up close and personal and in some uncomfortable ways. Uh, you can you can find it. That That's the full title. At nowhere. Because at... <laughs> it doesn't exist. It's right here in the first five minutes of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, that's about all you'll ever get out of us. Yeah. Uh, so let's, we got so much to talk about today. Let's jump right in. Clint, what you've been watching about? Ken, you don't want to tell me like just how you're doing in life? No. Just, just as a no. person? I you want to just go right into this? I My life through movies is is revealed. And right. so if, if you can't figure out what's going on with me personally. I need to decipher you know, this code that you've been giving to me through these movies well, yeah, to get yeah, a picture yeah, of your life. Yeah. I will tell you, not coming off of a medical procedure this episode, That's... feeling much sharper. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully that'll continue. And I won't just completely mislabel movies <laughs> a completely different thing than they are. <laughs> so, well, I'm here to catch those mistakes. Good. So. good. I'm glad. I can In... tell you really edited them out of the last podcast. Thanks. No, just, I got to look good somehow, yeah. and you're helping me do that. Yeah. You could have just been the director's last feature, The Square. <laughs> <laughs> could have covered it up. I Clint. don't get many of those in life, so yeah. when I can, I'm going to take advantage. I hear you. All right. Um, my first thing I'm going to talk about is I watched this movie called um, The Sounds of Science from uh, 2002. The Sounds of Science or The, the Sounds of Silence? No, Science. Science. Okay. So this is, um, I'm going to try to explain this. This is a series of short films by the director, uh, Jean Payne Leaf. And he was from, he lived from 1902 to uh, 1989. And he, okay. he did these amazing, um, very like psychedelic kind of mini documentaries about like like sea life and okay. stuff. And it's very like Steve Zizou, like <laughs> life aquatic style. Okay. Like they're very like, um, like these mockettes of in like, there's just, you know, they got a, a octopus in there or the seahorses and he filmed them and he'll do like kind of the life cycle of talking about these. And um, Criterion has a whole collection of his work, like 28. Okay. But what I watched was um, back in, I think it was like 2000, 
Oh, when when was all oh, 2002? Um, the band, one of my favorite bands, Joe Latango, mm-hmm. they would do these live performances where they would perform music that they had written for the films. Okay, but were they doing it specifically for his for previously his, released films and it's shorts? for his films. Oh, yeah, like cool. so he they would for each one they would do like eight like this has eight of his films and they'll do like they'll write a piece of music for that film and they're like probably 15 hmm. minutes long and they would perform these live and so they recorded it all and then on Criterion they have the eight films and then their music synced up to oh, it. Awesome. And it's really cool because they're like, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Angola Tango, but they're just like mm-hmm. a quintessential indie rock band. Yeah. Like, um, and, uh, and they do such a good job of setting this new mood to these, these films from um, like summer from like the thirties and stuff. Now, did these films previously have music? They did. Or? And, they, and it's, oh, okay. they, it's funny. They actually like, in the films, they say who performed the music or like written the music for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm not familiar with Interesting. with what it is because obviously it's it's Joe Latango's music yeah. now. But um, I think this is the week I finally just need to subscribe to Criterion and check these things out because yeah. I'm really behind the eight ball on this. Yeah, it's cool. Like, and it's kind of a fun thing. Like, if you're not super sucked into the visuals of, you know, like the life of a seahorse or something, mm-hmm. um, just the music itself is really good. And you kind of have in the background and tune in and out. Um, but it was really enjoyable. And uh, I really um, was glad I stumbled upon it. Okay, awesome. Uh, the first thing I watched is actually a pair of horror movies. Uh, one is called Devil's Workshop, and one is called Blood. Uh, <laughs> these are just two indie horror movies. Uh, first Blood, um, that one is, is not first blood with no, 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 no. The first movie I watched yeah. is titled Blood. <laughs> and this is from director Brad Anderson, and it stars Michelle Moynihan uh and unfortunately Skeet Ulrich, who's who's really uh his his acting prowess has is kind of I don't know what's going on there with good old Skeet, but mm, I like Skeet though. I also like Skeet, but I I feel like this one he's just he's kind of checked out. But anyway, yeah. Uh, this was was the decent film of the two. This is kind of a cool adaptation of a vampire mythos, mm-hmm. a vampire story. It's about a mother whose young son, uh, after wandering off into the woods and coming back, starts to or excuse me, the family dog went into the woods, came back almost feral bit the kid and now the kid is starting to uh go into a direction where he's craving blood and things like mm-hmm. that and that's a simplistic way of putting it but it's it's interesting i don't i don't think it's entirely effective but yeah. it's it's good it's worth a rent it's worth watching uh the other one devil's workshop uh i told you before we started recording it's basically like somebody took everything i loved about a dark song and said you know what that was boring uh <laughs> let's speed it up and let's uh, also, just on the side, throw Emil Hirsch in. And we'll mm-hmm. keep cutting off to Emil Hirsch's character uh, as this uh, really pompous actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a fun time. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, this is just a struggling actor. Emil Hirsch's character is his rival. And they're both going for the same part. And uh, this this kid decides he's going to go and research with an actual legit demonologist. And uh, over the course of a weekend, have a supernatural encounter um the the movie wants to be a lot better than it is Mm -hmm. it has some good ideas it just 
man, this feels like a 90s horror movie and not in a good way. Uh, this this feels very 90s direct-to-video. Did you like Emil Hirsch more in this than in The Immaculate Room? No. <laughs> Somehow he was more obnoxious in uh, this, but he's in that same yeah. kind of almost, you know, like playing a... a a cocaine-addled uh-huh. kind of jittery character hmm. uh, that's that's really just self-absorbed. Yeah. But he was much more cartoonish, and he's supposed to be more cartoonish in this. Yeah. So it was a little easier to forgive, especially when he's owning the movie for like eight minutes. Uh, but he, he feels like a character that would have really been funny in Barry. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't match anything else in this movie. Um, so, yeah, Devil's Workshop, Skip. Uh, but blood, you know, if if you're just really out of horror uh, and love love vampire flicks, uh, give it a try. It mm. it might uh, it might uh, I don't know what the word is there, but it might do it for you. Was it on? They were both on Shutter. Uh, yeah, they're both Shutter, and they're both on uh, Amazon. Even mm-hmm. if you don't have Shutter, you can rent them. Oh, oh okay, yeah. yeah. Um, the next thing, this is something I actually watched a couple of weeks ago, and. I've been meaning to talk about it. Okay. And, uh, you know, we always stack these things filled to the brim with movies, so I forgot about it. Um, And this is The Intruder from 2022. And this is a comedy special on HBO. Okay. Um, And this is by, uh, I'm going to do my best with her name. I always love when you um, Atsuko Akatsuka. Akatsuka. She's um, um, Taiwanese and Japanese, I believe. Okay. and this is the first I had never seen her um, comedy before. Like I think this is her first special, and it is fantastic. Okay. It's one of the funniest um, specials, comedy specials I've seen in a while. And like she does a really good job of intertwining an act, like a story from her life, and that really, I don't know that we're there's certain um, comedians who can really pull that off. Like Mike Birbiglia can really do that, and. Um, and also make it really funny. It's not just like, you know, some can get overly serious and sometimes you're questioning, is this actually a comedy special? But right. this is clearly a comedy special, but she's intertwining her life story with it. And um, she also does a really great job at um, crowd participate participation. Where I'm usually not into crowd work in a comedy special. It almost feels like it's an afterthought in filler. Huh. Okay. Like I love Patton Oswald, but his last special, like half of it is is crowd work. And I just yeah. felt like why this I'm is I'm sure it's great if you're in a, a in, the cr- in the live show yeah. in the crowd, but at home. Yeah. And she does a really good job of intertwining it. I keep saying intertwining it, but I'm sure you'll edit it out later because it's you that's repeating. I'm gonna sometimes. just fill it with some really smart word. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. and make myself sound great. There you go. But of making it feel natural to the story she's telling and mm-hmm. in, in, in really adding something to it. It's not just like, oh, hey, where are you from? And um, what do you do for a living? It's nothing like that. It's her like getting them to be a part of her story. And okay. um, I highly recommend it. Everyone that I've, 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 who I've been in a conversation about comedy with, uh, I've been telling them to watch this. Okay. And if you 
go on HBO and you get in the comedy. It's the, the woman with the big pants. Is how I the woman with the big she's pants. She's on the front page and she has these really big pants and okay. she's got a bowl cut. It's fantastic. <laughs> All and right. she's she's great. Sounds good. Uh, the next thing I watched just popped up on Netflix and maybe it had been there for a while. It's from 2022 and I just never found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's a Norwegian film called Viking Wolf. I've seen that on there, but um, it's surprisingly good. Huh. And the only it's a terrible title. Uh, mm. I'm sure it sounds much cooler in in Norwegian. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's something it's it's just uh the reason it's a it's called Viking Wolf is because it opens with a five minute sort of montage uh backstory as to how uh werewolves came to um the the Norwegian forests. Oh, okay. And so it's it's about the Vikings bringing them back, hmm. and um and so that's why it's called uh, Viking Wolf, uh, or uh, uh, Viking Gulven. Oh, that's Viking Gulven. I don't know how to say that, but it sounds much cooler. Yeah. Uh, in the original language, uh, but it's just about this family, uh, and the the young girl uh, is a teenager, and she gets bitten, and so it's really this slow metamorphosis werewolf movie. Mm. Uh, over the course of hunting the original wolf, which, unlike most, doesn't die right away. It's it, The thrust of the plot is about finding this original wolf. Mm-hmm. In the background the whole time, though, you keep cutting back to this teenage daughter mm-hmm. who is going through uh, this transformation. Probably the only knock against this is uh, they use CG sometimes for the wolf. Mm. And uh, you can tell it's CG, but it's a really good design. Um, but I was surprised when when they get to showing an actual transformation, they did a lot of it practically. Huh. And I appreciated that. It was a lot of good prosthetic and makeup effects. And uh, it would remind you of how they used to do transformations in the 80s. Oh, nice. Um, but it's, it's I wouldn't say great. Yeah. But for a werewolf movie, it's great, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to uh, grace my top 10 i would assume but mm-hmm. it's something if i was doing top 10 werewolf movies yeah oh, that's cool. uh, it's it's really good and, and worth checking out uh just keep in mind there's really not a lot new to it it's it's borrowing a lot of its elements from uh movies that have done it before mm-hmm. um but to good effect so yeah what else clint well something i was going to talk about but i think i'll hold off until like maybe i'm not sure where you are in this series um and we'll just have a bigger conversation about this but i've been watching poker face ah, and i've uh, only watched two episodes so yeah i think i thought you might be only a couple in so uh, we'll hold off on that okay. and talk about it more in depth but the thing I, I wanted to talk about that this is a what you rewatching about what you new, re-watching? uh sub to this <laughs> This whole thing. And I got my wife, Jenny, to um, graciously watch um, Bones and All with me. Okay. And um, that was a little risky because she's pretty squeamish. And um, Oh, Clint. But she some things she can deal with. I mean, she... Okay. She's a person who constantly, like 24 hours a day, is watching murder shows, but then you show her a horror movie and it's yeah, too much. And I'm like, you. you're watching literal, like literally people actually died and you can't watch this? Okay. Um, so I got her to watch this and she actually enjoyed it. Okay. But I just wanted to give an update because we just talked about mm-hmm. this on my second like um, viewing of it and how I felt about it. And the second time through, I thought it felt way more balanced. Mm-hmm. Like the second half of it, it, it doesn't bother, didn't bother me at all. It actually flowed really well. Okay. And um, I actually liked it a lot more the second time. I, I feel like it was more 
it felt more consistent throughout and the the horror wasn't now that you knew where it was going yeah and the the horror wasn't felt like it was sidelined and for the relationship or anything it okay. felt much more intertwined ah that word again there it is um and uh i i it probably would have gotten up higher on my list for the year if i had done that um Pre, uh, sooner. I, I'm glad you said that. I really need to give it another I chance. I think you should. And... I think it, 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 it. The tone is so good for that movie, okay. and I actually was v- really like invested in their relationship this second time okay. around. And um, you know, the little things that kind of bothered me the first time weren't there. Okay. Um. So I think it's it, it was a really good film from last year. Okay. Yeah. Well, in the realm of what you rewatching, I went back and watched Barry Levinson's Wag the Dog, which has oh. Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman, um, uh, the late Anne Hesch, uh, a couple of, of really prominent actors, Woody Harrelson mm-hmm. in a brief but uh, funny role. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's basically about a, a president who has a sex scandal coming out 11 days before an election and his fixer... Uh, his go-to fixer and his uh, top political team basically have to come up with a way to distract the public for 11 days, and they come up with a war f- with Albania. Mm. And really, this is actually – it's its not a goofy comedy. Uh, it's, it's very much a pretty cutting satire mm-hmm. on the theater of politics. And even though it came out in 99 – Wow, was it timely mm-hmm. just watching it, uh, especially with, you know, the things that are going on right now and and things where people are really going out there as a character mm-hmm. to, you know, really rouse their base. And um, it was it was good. It was it was well worth checking out. And uh, I'm glad I went back to it. That's cool. Uh, I was worried it would be a little more dated. I watched the trailer mm-hmm. and uh, it starts with that song from, I think it was from Get Shorty that they used oh. in a ton of trailers <laughs> in the late. That thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was just like, oh, that's a that's a weird tone. I don't remember that movie having that tone. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It's soundtrack. Not at all. It's tone. Um, and so it it didn't feel nearly as dated except when they popped out a cell phone and had to pull up the antenna and mm-hmm. you know hold half a shoe next to their head <laughs> but uh but radiated yeah. their yeah. skull yeah worth going back to uh so that brings us to something that we've kind of held off on talking about because um I don't want to hype up a series or really go out there and talk about how much I enjoy something until I've given it a couple of episodes. You agreed, uh, but we have been watching The Last of Us, and I think it just wrapped its fourth episode, uh, fifth episode's coming this week, and um, I was very excited about it because I love the video games uh, back when I had time to play video games. And I was I was excited to see if they could actually. It's the the team that did Chernobyl, yeah. And I was excited to see uh, what they would do uh, with kind of uh, an, an already pretty story driven uh, kind of serious game. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they going to do with this? So, Clint, what do you think so far at the four episode mark of The Last of Us? Well, I was actually like kind of counting down the days to this because mm-hmm. I. Um, one was excited that the Chernobyl team was doing this, the yeah. showrunner of that, because uh, I loved that show. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Um, and I um, I actually played the first one maybe two years ago for the first oh, okay. time. I, I came to it very late, mm-hmm. and um, 
I'm kind of a cheapskate with video games. <laughs> and so when that was like $20, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll pay $20. Now it's worth my, I, yeah, my Well, cash. I, because I'm kind of fickle with video games mm-hmm. as far as like, I have to be super excited about it to throw down $60 for a game. And at the time I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't sure about that one when it came out. So when, this is a sideline. Anyway, I really like the game. Um, So I was excited to see what they would do, especially with how, like you said, that the game is very narrative and the game is also really pulling from kind of that um, time when television was becoming like, at the peak it is now, like we're like you, we had like the walking dead was when mm-hmm. it was actually good. The first couple seasons of that and like mad men. So there, and there was just like so these prestige television shows yeah. coming out. And this is definitely drawing from that, yeah. I think. So I was curious to see how they're kind of almost, it's like this circle of like entertainment yeah. where it's, yeah. it, I was seeing how can they make this thing new that's already pulling from so much already. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually really into it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the show. Um, the first episode, I think, I, it was so kind of heavily pulling from this the the game mm-hmm. that it was like they're they're nailing it. But I feel like I've already seen it. Mm-hmm. But as it's been going on, I've been really into the changes they've made yeah. and what they done with the characters new and um i'm i'm actually really loving this show yeah i i appreciate that it's action light because the game has you know really deep story and character moments but then it has a very explosive action moment yeah and in the early parts of the game you're really mowing down a lot of humans mm-hmm. i'm like well this this is going to be interesting and that's one of the changes that they made and it's for the better. It really feels like a drama. It doesn't feel like a drama based on a video game. Yeah. And it's still, don't get me wrong, it's it's really faithful to the video game, even down to some of the mechanics. The number of times a doorway will be blocked oh, and somebody I has to that. go crawling through while the other people yeah, like wait Ellie's and Yeah, like Ellie's got to go. Yeah. And full on. I mean, and, that's video games. Oh, and they pull like that the ammo is scarce. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love that too. Yeah. And but it feels natural. It doesn't. No. But there are moments where I kind of have this strange deja vu. Yeah. Where like, and not in a bad way. It's just like kind of eerie, especially this last episode. Yeah. And I'm just like, I've been here before. Well, in this last episode was really. I don't yeah. know if you've seen any of the YouTube uh, sort of series to video game no, comparisons. I, I mean, it's entire conversations. Yeah. yeah. Almost word for word. And and so on the one hand, it's cool that they're they're honoring the source material that much. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right because video games are a visual source material. I'm getting much more of a deja vu feeling than I would something adapted from a book uh-huh. or or even a comic because even in a comic you're just seeing pieces mm-hmm. rather than something in motion. Right. Um, but and I'm, you like you spend so many hours like kind of embodying those characters. Yes. So it just feels like this weird thing, yeah. like yeah. overlap. It's strange. Um, I, I do wish I'm, – I'm glad I played the games, but at the same time, I would love to be somebody watching this show without knowledge. Yeah. That first episode would have hit so much harder yeah. if I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a big moment – 
Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a gut punch in that first episode. And it just, it didn't have the power. Yeah. It was well done. It just didn't have the power because I knew it was going to be there. Yeah. Uh, sort of like going back and watching Game of Thrones season one. You know Ned Stark. Sorry, spoiler. He's going down. Uh-huh. And so the whole time you're seeing him, it's just you don't have that build up you had the first time. Right. Thinking this is the main character and suddenly he's gone. Um but I've I've been really impressed with the casting. I love the look of this show. Oh, it's great. Uh, the effects are near perfect, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of practical work. Yeah, I was so happy that the clickers were oh, just and they're pure fa- they're so good. Yep, they're so yep. good. They nailed it. Yeah, and so that's really exciting. Really, they're only using CG to expand the world and to make sure it looks appropriately post apocalyptic and things like that. But they're like doing it so well yes. though. Like and, it, it, and other than knowing this can't actually exist yeah. somewhere, which your brain triggers as a, hey, you know, this is this is not real. Um it's it's done a really good job of making me forget uh, that I'm that I'm watching something that has to in large part be manufactured. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love how slow they're taking the relationship yep. uh, with Joel and Ellie. Mm-hmm. And man, episode three. Oh. <laughs> Just the the confidence three episodes in to spend a little bit of time with your main characters and then just take a sidestep and spend an entire episode with characters that are otherwise with Bill and in, Frank. Yeah, with yeah. they're otherwise inconsequential. Uh, and in the game, Bill's just, you know, somebody to show up and give you stuff. Um, but that that episode was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It just Levi watched it with me and uh, and and Levi and I were just completely blown away by it. And yeah, it takes a lot to move my kid emotionally. <laughs> Uh, but he was he was really he was into it. It's it's our father son Sunday night nine yeah. o'clock. We are like on the TV watching it. Uh, the minute it oh hits I, I am HBO. too yeah. I'm also like, but it totally makes sense that they would do that even that early on because yeah. like, especially in that moment that they're just traveling. Like, yeah. how can you maintain that? Especially, you're, are you going to manufacture something happening just for the sake of filling it in? Or like, let's, especially the team who's doing this, who are very interested in character. Yeah. Let's go and explore these characters that are mentioned. And clearly in the game too, they have a relationship with these people, even if like it's only a, a small part of the game. Let's like flush these characters out. It, it's really cool. Well, and this is something that could have, this is what Walking Dead, I think, aspired to be. Yeah. And I think it particularly was its first six episodes with Darabont. Uh, and then just, you know, to very hit or miss results, different seasons, yeah. uh, really struggled with that concept. But it's it, here at episode three, we don't have to stay with the main characters because we're giving you a picture of the apocalypse and how people adjust to it and how people, different kinds of people handle this this situation. And it's just, it was really refreshing to see that they don't have to show everything through Joel's eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're able to just say, you know what, Joel is connected to this, and you're still going to grow the character of Joel by seeing what else is happening in the world with somebody that is occasionally connected to it. Right. You can kind of copy and paste some of the yeah. experiences that like Bill and Frank had on top of uh, with them, yeah. like that they went through this and it's just showing it through a different yeah. character. It's yeah. really cool. And God bless Nick Offerman. Oh, He's yeah. He's just a wonderful <laughs> man. He's a uh, treasure. I was just listening to... Um, 
it was it's from a while back, but it was um the Conan O'Brien podcast interview with him, uh-huh. the more recent one. And uh, he just, man, I could listen to him talk about anything all day long. <laughs> well, also, um, Murray Bartlett, who plays Frank, yeah. is so fantastic. Have yeah. you watched um, the um, White uh, Lotus at all? No. He's no. the the um, manager of the hotel in the first okay. season and wildly different character. He's really – he's the – shining point of that show and was one of the reasons I kept going because he's so funny yeah. and nuanced and dark and um in that show. And uh it was just I, I had a hard time at first recognizing him, especially because yeah. he's Australian yeah. and then the White Lotus he's has his accent and this he doesn't and he's got a big beard. I'm like, he looks very familiar, but I'm not really pinning this down. Yeah. But uh yeah, he's so good. Um but yeah, like you said, everyone is really good. And, and I love that they're even for. <laughs> so there's just a cat. So everybody knows there's a cat that just jumped up in here. <laughs> she had a surgery. So she's in here with us. I told Clint nothing would happen out of the ordinary. And she just. Hello. Anyway. Cat, cat lobotomy. You were, you were saying. Um, <laughs> every small char- like, uh, character, they're like fleshing out with these great actors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like. And uh, Torv plays Tess. Like, oh, and she's, yeah. She's so good. Which I haven't really seen her in something big since Fringe. Uh, and I know I've seen her in other things, yeah. but I always love her. And then, like, this past episode, um, Melanie uh, Linsky shows up yeah. as Kathleen, who's an invented character for this, the the, the TV version. And uh, I'm, I love that they're kind of doing a Bill and Frank with that, too, yeah. where, like, using this other character to show the experience of yeah. this world. It's I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really excited yeah. about this show. Yeah. Funny story, uh, not to overfocus on the Bill Frank episode, uh, but my son is 18, and my son is, you know, the the stereotypical white hetero uh, teenager mm-hmm. at 18, and so we're we're watching this episode together. And he starts out, and good old Ron Swanson, who Levi's watched Parks and Rec. Yeah. Good old Ron Swanson's running around doing all the survivalist stuff. And my kid just second after second is, oh, man, look at this. This is exactly what I would do. This guy's exactly like me. This guy is so me. I love this guy. This guy's exactly who I am. I am everything <laughs> this guy is. And then Frank shows up, and he's just like, oh, cool. Now he's going to have a friend, and I would have one friend, too. Wait, what's happening? What are these friends doing? Dad, dad, is he gay? Oh, dad, dad, oh, no, not sexy time, dad. And and the poor kid sort of devolves, you know, because that's fine, whatever. Um, But then by the end of the episode, he's come completely back around Mm -hmm. to where he's just like, oh, man, dad, I'm I'm just like this guy. Man, that was so beautiful. I would have gone out to you, dad. Oh, dad. And (laughs) It just, it was such a delightful uh, uh, moment watching this 18-year-old adjust to uh, to all of that. So, very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really throw you off. I can tell you're just thinking like, all right. All right, well, the cat, and it jumped up, and do I need to do something with the audio there? And then the cat just went down. <laughs> Poor Clint. No. Poor no, Clint. that wasn't it. I was just— Okay. Long just, story short, watch The Last of Us. I'm I'm excited by it, and I can't wait to see where it goes next. Oh, a moment. Okay, back to Bill and Frank. This is mm-hmm. what I was thinking about while you were saying that, and then I was thrown off. There's one of the most delightful, like, Nick Offerman in this character moments that— makes me so 
happy and sad and like delighted in so many ways. Was it the laugh? The laugh. Oh. The moment yes. when they're eating strawberries Ooh. and he, he, he does yeah. the Nick Offerman laugh, but yeah. it's like in this like kind of, it's so nuanced in like, yep. there's so much it's in perfect. it. It's like happy cry like moment, but he's doing, oh, it's so good. And like every time I see it, it just like kind of warms my heart in this beautiful yeah. way. And um, I mean, that's not Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey are, are oh, incredible yeah. great, as well. But they're they're doing so much subtle work with just character and relationship oh, building. Yeah. And um, I think it is. It's the thing is like they're a little bit more spread out through it, and this yeah. is all crammed into one. Like yeah. not even a whole episode. It's yeah. like forty five yeah. minutes, and what they get across in that forty five minutes is so amazing. And you get the the whole width of their relationship and their life span, like like life in this yeah. post apocalyptic world, that it's just very memorable. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like. Pedro Pascal, they're, they're, it's much more nuanced and you're getting it little bits at a time throughout yeah. their experience. Um, yeah. Well, and it really speaks to the writing team. Yeah. This is not uh, an FX spectacle and an action series. And this is really, it cares about its characters and it cares about really mapping them out and making them real and, and uh, you know, taking away that feeling that I'm watching a character. What I have been really happy about as it's been going on too, it's not that they're like trying to or they're um, drawing from it, but I'm glad it has a little bit more of that like Station Eleven feel. Yeah, where yeah. it's it's so much more um, interested in the like the characters and their experience, and not just the pure darkness of something like yeah. this. It's like the human every human angle of it yeah. and how you're reacting and and you're forming new relationships in this yeah. in this impossible scenario. Um, so I'm glad it's a, a lot more in that direction than like yeah. just a walking dead. Well, and it can be bleak. It can be hopeful. It can yeah. be funny. It can, it really shifts tones organically yeah. and, uh, you know, makes you laugh when you need to laugh and helps the characters feel human. Like mm -hmm. everything's not so dire and serious every second. Have you been listening to their podcast? Yes. Yeah, it's really Really good. informative podcast. Yeah. And a lot of times I don't like creators telling me what to think about a show or what they intended. Yeah. Um, but it, it never bothered me with Vince Gilligan because... It, it reminds me of Vince Gilligan. Yeah, yeah. This is the same way. They, they tell you what they were intending, but it's never uh, something that would would really color, you know, how you're watching. Yeah, it's, more like how they land, how they landed on certain yeah. like um, aspects of the show yeah. and, and thought processes and stuff. Well, today we've got four movies to talk about, uh, and all of these are more recent releases, uh, minus our Sinatron pick. Uh, but today we're talking about Babylon, which is quite the divisive little flick that hit theaters recently, uh, Infinity Pool from uh, Cronenberg Jr., Little Cronenberg, <laughs> Brandy. Uh, Brandy, Brandon, and a uh, new horror film that just popped up on Shudder that's getting a lot of buzz, Skin of Marink. And then finally, our Sinatron pick, Love and Monsters, uh, from quite a few years ago. Or was it just, I guess that was it's just like, 2022. It's not that old. No, it's a little older than that, I believe. Oh, it's 2020. Yeah. You're right. Uh, so let's start with Babylon. Uh, this is from uh, Oscar-winning director Damien Chazelle, who you might know from Whiplash and La La Land. 
uh, first man, first man. Uh, this is definitely a departure from from those films, and it basically uh, here's here's the official uh, description: decadence, depravity, and outrageous excess lead to the rise and fall of several ambitious dreamers in 1920s Hollywood as the industry begins to transition from silent pictures to the world of sound films. Clint, uh, what did you think of Babylon? Well, I'm a I've been a fan of his previous work, so mm-hmm. I was really kind of not excited but curious about this movie Mm -hmm. and the cast was kind of a big draw too that like Mm -hmm. he's been like got brad pitt in one of his movies not that he's not had great actors in all his other work Mm -hmm. um but brad pitt seems like he doesn't do as much these days as previously and i was curious because like it has been getting mixed reviews and i was just like what what is that like why is that getting that and because I mean, to me, he's been a good a good director. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I kind of got a pretty clear picture of it when we went into it. When How I watched long? it, how long did it take you to really click that? Oh, okay, I'm in for the movie that they've warned me about. Well, it took. I mean, it took a while for me to realize that. It wasn't just like the first opening, mm-hmm. like that was definitely a departure from his mm-hmm. work, but it was more or less like, oh, why this isn't getting rave reviews like his other work has been getting. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me probably halfway to kind of sink into like, oh, okay, I understand why this is kind of a challenge to some people. And it was to me too. I um, I, I liked the scope of what he was trying to show Mm -hmm. but i feel like so much like especially character really suffered for it and i feel like it was just so broad in some ways like we get every single bodily fluid in this movie and I wasn't expecting that. No. I was expecting the decadence and like sec- open sexuality and like, and, you know, drug abuse and all that stuff from the time. But it was just like, it felt almost like it was like trying to top like a dumb and dumber yeah. movie or something. It was very visually revolting. Yeah. Uh, at times. Not in just what it implied, but then it's just like, let's just show it. I'm like, oh. Yeah. It just was so much. Yeah. And, um, and I think like, like I said, I think my biggest problem with this was, especially in a three hour movie, Mm -hmm. the, I didn't feel like I learned anything about the characters at all. This is, I mean, you, you learn enough that you get what makes them tick. But in a three hour movie, you you should get, get more. Yeah. You don't get kind of the idea of where that came from. You don't get the idea of where it's going. You don't. Um, this is this, the best way I could describe this movie is if you took, um, uh, what was the movie? I, Requiem for a Dream. Uh huh. If you took Requiem for a Dream and you mashed it together with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, <laughs> that is Babylon. It is so cartoonish. But with like no cautionary tale of, like of Requiem no, for a Dream. <laughs> no, it's so cartoonish, but it's also so dark and bleak and and nihilistic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, I, I can see why, why people who love movies really don't like this movie because it almost feels like it's trying to take the joy 
out of film mm-hmm. and uh and and just make it this this product um there were there were some scenes that really worked for me oh yeah there um, was moments i really liked there was there was some great stuff i love the first time uh on the the sound stage that they're trying to film yeah a a sound picture yeah. with a stationary mic and and all these challenges and just how frustrated everybody's getting with this new technology. If the movie was like that 10, 15 minute sequence, man, I would have been in for this. Um, and I really like the op- the opening scene on the set of like yes. the silent film set where yeah. they're filming all the, the different multiple mo- sets. multiple movies yeah. at once and then like yeah. the big epic in the background. That yeah. that was cool. And and that was a little Addled. It was a little too hyperkinetic. Yeah, but I I was enjoying it. I I had never thought of oh yeah I bet they just went out in the desert and shot multiple movies all at the same time with the same group of people because there's no sound. So who cares if you know this group over here is being loud? It just mm-hmm. matters what's in front of the camera. And so that was a really cool moment. And I was enjoying you know just kind of the the funny bits with Brad Pitt, but. Honestly, that got old. Margot Robbie, uh, her character got very annoying to me. Uh, the the gent who plays the jazz trumpeter yeah. is probably my favorite character in it and the one I was most interested in. But they give next to nothing They took to me him. so long to realize that I was supposed to be paying attention yeah. to him. Yeah, that he was one of the the four essential main characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I don't think a rewatch would help with that. No. I, I don't think it was, oh, there's important stuff happening you just didn't clue into. It's just him playing the trumpet and insulting the guy he plays with for a long stretch of movie. And then suddenly he's getting more famous and we're following him and we're seeing some of the the, the racial and cultural challenges. That was really interesting to me. He was great. He played that well. I would have rather just the whole movie been about him. And these other people were in the background. And, and I agree that it was interesting. But at the same time, like like I said, where it took me so long to realize I was supposed to be really caring about this character, mm-hmm. that the the moment with him, that's the very racially charged moment that he's dealing with, I feel like it didn't earn it. Like It hadn't earned it and it went nowhere with it. Yep. It, it's a very powerful scene. It has a lot to say. But then we get nothing. We get no conversation afterwards. We don't get to see he, he, him process it or, yeah. or how he feels. I mean, you can tell on his face how he feels. Oh, for sure. He plays it really he well. He plays it wonderfully. But, it but was, I feel like there's a whole series of scenes yeah. that are just cut out of the movie that are him. Yeah. Like, And I like the little scene afterwards where it's kind of like he goes back to his roots of just playing yeah. clubs and stuff. Yeah. But like there should have been much more building up to that moment. Yeah. With that, like, you, where you really are invested in this character and maybe some after, but, like, you just – it just is that moment kind yeah. of and you're left with it. Which for a three-hour film, there's no excuse no. for that. No, There's just – you have plenty of time to develop four characters yep. and to track them and to find where they intersect and where they divide off. And, um, you know, again, there's there's some really good stuff in here. But unfortunately, between the really good stuff, sandwiched between, is just a a lot of hello, kitty. This time the she cat wants has something to, know about to say. Clint. I think. Yeah. What uh, do you but... think of Babylon? <laughs> Tell me. Uh, she's rubbing her face against the microphone, so I I think that's exactly what she thinks. Don't touch the button. <laughs> but um, it, you know that stuff is sandwiched right in between. 
uh, or what's sandwiched between these really good moments is just kind of drivel. I it's feel like filler. it was just, just, yeah, it felt like filler and, um, like, especially that opening scene, you could have cut 20 minutes out of that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not really getting to know the care you are at moments, but then it's just the decadence of the time. And the, yeah. the thing that I came to my mind, I, I don't think, have you watched the show Babylon Berlin? No. I, I love that show. And, um, it's kind of set in the same time period, but in Germany. And I feel like they accomplished the same idea of showing the decadence of the time much more act mm. like interestingly and yeah. like more impactfully. Um, and I, I was just kind of wanting it to be that the whole yeah. time rather than just like complete, like kind of debauchery just for the sake of showing it and having like, I don't know, just the revelry in it yeah. like I, I don't know well and and kind of the amped up delirium that you get in requiem for a dream is what i feel through all of this but again yeah. it's cartoonish and so it ceases to at first i i was giving it a lot of leeway because i'm like okay this is going somewhere it has a point it's going to settle yeah and give us some meat but it never really settles it never this is a movie of, uh, essentially about you know two of them are alcoholics and drug addicts um but who wasn't at this time but who wasn't at this time but <laughs> no clean the, water. the whole movie matches their yeah their amped up uh lunacy mm-hmm. um and i the movie doesn't benefit from having the same tone as half of its main characters right and i one thing i also came away from it with was like where mo- pretty much <sighs> all the characters end up except for the jazz player. Mm-hmm. I didn't really believe where they ended yeah. up, especially Brad Pitt. Yeah. Because I feel like he's such like almost like this narcissist who's so caught up in his own um, storyline or like his and where he is in his career that where he ends up at the end, like I almost, I just kind of didn't believe he would do what he does. Well, and a lot of of the the end and the ending is stretched over about a half an hour, and a lot of that's not earned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a really funny scene with Toby Maguire. Yeah, that was my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> but it comes at the end, <laughs> yeah, and it should have been in the middle. Yep. And the consequences of that scene are too big. Yep. For something that comes out of nowhere. I mean, mm-hmm. literally comes out of nowhere, with no setup. A character makes basically a one-time mistake, and it alters the fate of, you know, everything. And just... that would have also worked a lot better with Margot Robbie's character if yes. it, it had happened earlier on. And yeah. then it was, if you're going to go in that direction, you have more time to see it play out yeah. rather than it kind of being crammed in there at the end. Yeah. And you, it would have felt more... I don't know, dangerous if it was something like she, like it almost is kind of sprung on you that like, oh yeah, she has this gambling problem on top of like her drug and alcohol abuse. Um, Like it would have been more interesting to see it play out longer. But there's, there's no seeds of that. No, suddenly it's, I know you're told it. Right. And she has it. And now it's collapsing around her. Yeah. And her, Possibly one true love, right? Uh, so, yeah. but then, no. I didn't. I didn't even completely believe their romance, no. because it almost felt like it was just an unrequited thing on his side, 
yeah. then kind of out of convenience, she's like, oh, yeah, let's get married. Yeah. But I don't I don't know if you've ever seen Dr. Zhivago. Mm-hmm. It would be a much better version with that where that's about a war that keeps two people apart and they keep kind of coming together at certain points. But the war always tears them back apart. Yeah. If that was these two characters, they genuinely click and they're genuinely in love and Hollywood keeps tearing them apart, bringing them back together, almost like a repeat of the La La Land ending. Mm-hmm. It could have been really good um, because then it would have been about people choosing uh, their art or their work or their business over love uh, well, and, and what that causes. But I, I think that's what they were trying to do, but I, it just doesn't work. I think it would have been more interesting if they definitely like because she's at one point in the movie in a romance with a woman. Mm-hmm. And at this time period, she's um She's gay and she, but she can't really, yeah. especially with what's happening in the movie with like the, um, the emergence of like morality, morality, culture and, morality yeah. culture. Yeah. That she can't live this way. And she definitely has a connection to, um, our, our kind of main character in the story, but it's unrequited for yeah. him. And she, and he just doesn't realize that because she's gay, it can never work. But yeah. then, Maybe at the end, she just out of convenience for the times she yeah. gives, and it's kind of a sad thing yeah. that she gives into like marrying this man. Yeah. And it's not really love. It's a love in a friendship way, and like, uh, but not in a romantic way. Yeah, um, that this, could have been more interesting. I don't know. The entire endeavor really felt like something uh, that we we tend to run into a lot, and we discuss a lot in a lot of different ways where. A filmmaker has become so successful and well-known and they're able to start to do whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. And they lose some of that uh, editing or they lose Mm. that team around them who is willing to say, no, let's do this or that's too much. Right. Uh, This feels like somebody who has gone too far and needs reined in Mm. uh, creatively. He needs more people around him. And maybe I'm way off on that, but it just... I hope this this is the outlier yeah. and it's not now what becomes of his films where he just really stops working uh, as, as an artist. Not working professionally. I just mean where his the films just don't work for stops you. working. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Neither of us love this. Uh, There's moments I liked, but overall I just like – didn't hold together for yeah. me. And and genuinely, I I wanted to enjoy this movie. Me I too. wanted critics to be wrong and mm-hmm. I wanted to come out of it like, no, they just they were expecting a different movie and they got upset. I was excited to watch it when um I had the chance and I, I was kind of disappointed as it went on and didn't really grab me. Yeah. Well, our next movie is Infinity Pool. And this is one Clint and I ventured out to the theater uh to watch. This is from Brandon Cronenberg, who previously did uh, Possession or Possessor, which I liked much more than Clint did. Yeah. Uh, But this had a a really kind of creepy, weird trailer. Let's go check this thing out and see if baby Cronenberg can finally live up to daddy. Uh, (laughs) Which is so dismissive. It's terrible. I know. Um, But before we talk about the movie, can I just say, Clint, are you as tired of as I am of people that are under 25 in movie theaters? who don't understand that the movie theater is supposed to be quiet. 
or they're not on their phones or they're not like on the guy to our left who was just on, like every five minutes was clicking on yeah, i did not expect that with this movie yeah i thought we were going to have a fairly empty theater yeah. and maybe you'll get some art house people in there mm-hmm. and art house fans typically know how to behave in a theater yeah we had the wrong crowd <laughs> uh and it was just and and we weren't even opening week it's just so frustrating to me and it seems to be happening more and more and more regularly uh-huh and it just, I'm sorry, but, you know, the movie theater is sacred to me. It's this place, <laughs> seriously, it's this place that, like, you behave a certain way and mm-hmm. there's a certain reverence because... You hope people will anyway. You know, yeah, yeah, you're you're there to watch a movie and you're there to to respect that, that there's a movie and that people are watching it. And it used to be back in the day, occasionally you'd have in somebody... In time. Yeah, you'd, you'd occasionally have somebody talking or something annoying, but it was... It was pretty rare uh, compared to now. I just feel like every time we go to the theater, yeah, I should have just waited for this to come home. I will say with this, what happens in this movie at moments, I kind of was a little forgiving of some of those reactions. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not yeah. blaming you. Yeah. Like, it's a, you're being a little dramatic, but like... Uh, for me, it was the first half hour is yeah. when I was annoyed. Yeah. Later, if it had been happening there, uh, you know, right. I, I got that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, here is the official synopsis. Guided by a seductive and mysterious woman, a couple on vacation venture outside their resort grounds and find themselves in a culture filled with violence, hedonism, and untold horror. A tragic accident soon leaves them facing a zero-tolerance policy for crime. Either you'll be executed or... If you're rich enough to afford it, you can watch yourself die instead through a perfect duplicate. Clint, what did you uh, think of Infinity Pool? Um, I was... Can we first say that this episode is brought to you by peeing on people? (laughs) (laughs) Pee play? Because somehow we back-to-back watch movies where people are just getting urinated on. Yeah, yeah. It's... It was a real yeah. good. It was real good. Um, Side note: not fun to watch. In a, in a, in a, no, just no. Yeah, yeah, it has different uh, meaning. Like when you're, or a different, you know, reaction when there's a room full of people rather than like <laughs> watching Babylon at home alone. Yeah. Um, I was hoping, like you said, I wasn't as into Possessor as you mm-hmm. were. There was aspects of it I really was into. So I was really hoping with this one that maybe those elements that I didn't click with were put to the wayside and like maybe he's grown as an actor or as a director and like is is really nailing his voice. Um I will say I was not into this movie. At really there was some aspects of it I was enjoying, but like I felt the same way I kind of felt with Babylon where it was like going too far for the sake of just being able to do it yeah, and not really like knowing the, like the limit, like the, the idea of limiting yourself can be useful Mm -hmm. and rewarding rather than like, okay, I can show this thing and I'm going to do it for the sake of getting a reaction. Yeah. I feel like that's a cheap move. I, I think the intention is to be visceral, but that's not visceral. Visceral no. is very in the moment and shocking because it unsettles you and it disarms you. 
this is not, I know that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. But when you're doing it over and over and yeah. over again, it loses its power yeah. and just becomes like a, a bee stinging you over and over again. Like, it's just like, it's just annoying at this point. Like, and it's not giving me something to really chew on. Yeah. It's just showing me something either gross or horrifying or bloody. That's, we've said this before, I think, but that's not body horror. Yeah. That's just ultra violence. Yeah. And I'm like tired of ultra violence. It's not interesting to me. This, the moments where duplicates were created and duplicates were uh, executed in front of the person, that was very interesting to me. That yeah. was far more body horror not in the actual act, but just the idea of watching yourself be killed, what that would do to you psychologically. Um, those moments worked for me, but they're they're loaded towards the front. Uh, yeah. This movie almost abandons its core concept halfway through. I don't think that not was a little earlier. The, but I'm kind of thinking about it more. I don't know if that the concept was something he was super interested in. Yeah. I think yeah. it was something to set up being able to do these other things, but I don't think that was the thing that he was really invested in. Yeah. And um, like, I had thought of like five other angles this could have gone that yeah. may have been more interesting to me. Um, but I don't think that was his thing that really drew him in. No, and and I figured out really early on because it kept coming up in Mia Goth's dialogue, yeah. uh, where she's prodding Alexander Skarsgård mm -hmm. with these, these they start very small, but they're very on the nose, taunts about his his courage right. or, or those things. And it, it wasn't even halfway through, I'm like, oh, this is going to actually be about uh, masculinity. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, mm -hmm. but this was a very old world backwards view of masculinity. If, yeah. if you ask me what this movie was trying to say, it was that men have become too weak and need to get back to a place where they're more animalistic. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why you would want to say that with a film. And then to build this entire premise around that was, was very, very strange to me. Yeah, And I, I get that this is a satire of of wealth and class and access and all that. But having come just off of Triangle of Sadness and The Square, right? movies that really tackle that subject matter with such precision uh, and and clarity and and cleverness, it just felt like a like a film student project. Yeah. Uh, that that was just kind of entry level trying to say something that I could never really decipher. Yeah, because like it had the opportunity to really go into that satire yeah. and, but it really kind of, especially halfway, I don't know if it's halfway or there's a certain point where it really pulls back from that and dives into the, um, the masculinity angle yeah. of it. And that's the point where it really lost me yeah. um, because you could have, you're, you're set up with this opportunity where your character can basically thwart the law. They can do anything they, they want. They can do anything they want if they in, have the money. In, in, if they have the money. Mm -hmm. And these characters have the money. And they're really, when they have that opportunity, they're just doing it for like in this small, especially it feels confined mm -hmm. because they're just in this resort. 
They feel like a collection of rich sociopaths. Right. But that's another... I'll come back to that. Okay. But it never escalates past this, like, pure... Like, this inner circle of just trying to, like, gain something for themselves yeah. rather than, like, understanding that they have this power and they could use this in a greater way outside in this community that they're in and really show that, like, they have this social privilege, like, this, yeah. this privilege of wealth. And they never do that. But that's another thing I wanted to bring up was Alexander Skarsgård, I feel like his character so quickly dives into this yeah. thing and there's no reason for it. Like yeah. there's no like apprehension at all. Like where he's like a uh, questioning, should he be doing this, especially with or how, how this exists, how this exists or yeah. like, it, or questioning like, like the character there that you, he's presenting early on in the film. Yeah. It's he's instantly into this yeah. and he's instantly on board with what these people are doing. And, um, I, I, I just didn't believe that this this movie lost me as well. Yeah, and it it lost me. I know the exact point. Uh, after there's a there's a group execution that I think is a great scene and a great kind of bait and switch. Immediately after that, the movie really shifted gears and lost me. Before that, I was in possessor mode and I was I was invested. I yeah. was good to go. Um, but then after I saw where it went, then in retrospect everything you're talking about started to bother me yeah. while I'm watching the second half. Mm -hmm. And I really thought, based on the first half, as I'm watching it, my mind started thinking of all the ways that that this could twist and turn and get darker. Um, you know, things like, imagine if you found out there's an entire brothel on the island staffed by your duplicates like the police are using doubles of you right. in all these nefarious ways yeah and and the horror of it dawning on you that you didn't just create a duplicate to be executed you've given them access to you and your dna and now they can make copies of you and do anything they want that kind of stuff creeps me out that kind of stuff gets under my skin and i i really feel like that would have been a really horrifying angle yeah and it doesn't go in that way at all. It's it the most it does with its premise is oh look we can create duplicates for executions, and when he runs out of things to do with that, you can tell he doesn't want to repeat himself, so he just deals with this small culty little group of characters, and they're not interesting. I don't like them. No, no. There's nothing that that they're reflecting, you know, in in a satirical way that makes that that's thought provoking. Well, like um, that's how they – when they drop that line of like, have you ever questioned if you are the real one or like – Yeah. That was, I feel like, just a prod. Yeah. Like he wasn't really interested in that idea, yeah. like to go further with it. Which was very interesting yeah. to me, uh, especially as the other characters become more sociopathic. Again, when I was still invested, I'm thinking, oh, anytime it's the real person, you know, they retain who they are. But if it's a copy, it looks exactly the same, but it's just a little less human. Um, almost Can you move your cord so it stops hitting the. Sorry. Oh, you're okay. Yeah. You want to drop that out? No, let's keep going. Oh, okay, it's fine. It's fine. There's a cat <laughs> just jumping up at random this times. Is, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those episodes. Kids enjoy. Uh, but but it was something where um, you know. 
these these great things that could have been explored. And oh my gosh, they they are mixing us up, and there are duplicates at times that are getting duplicated because we're becoming less ourselves. Right. Like the more we go through this process, and then that's why this version of us now that's real is just this cold, hollow, soulless husk of what we used to be. Right. And, you know, wealth has led us down this path where we're less a person than we used to be. And even that's kind of basic. I I feel like there's so much more you could do with it, but that would have at least been something. Well, especially like if you're going to do that, then like you are willing to lose a piece of yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. For this like sadomasochistic like experience, that's the price you pay for like this time, like, and they're fine with it. Like, and they they don't really care. Oh, almost like a Westworld angle. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it could have been interesting. Like this could have been almost like the very low budget, like indie film version of it where like you can pay for this to happen where you can get off scot-free by paying for your double but you have to spend 24 hours with your double mm. and you have to like like kind of experience yourself in this yeah. way and maybe at the end you don't know which one is the is coming out have you seen dumb. duel it's a little oh, indie I haven't flick. watched it yet yeah you should watch it I it's a to. much better yeah. Uh it it almost has it's it's not again not right. trying to oversell it. Um but it almost has the the deadpan humor delivery style of um what was the karate movie it's that, that we love. It's that director. Oh, is it the same director? It's the, same director. It's the exact yeah. same style, but it's the idea of oh, I've got 30 days or whatever to right. prepare for fighting my double to the death. Yeah. Um that uh it explores things in a comedy far, far better than this does. Yeah. And and you have a lot more fun with with the premise in that case. Um, this just, again, it felt much like Babylon. It just felt like a lot of flash. Excessive for the sake of being excessive. Yeah. yeah. I will say there were moments from um, Alex Skarsgård and mm-hmm. Mia Goss performances that I really liked and really yeah. got under my skin and they were really creepy. Yeah. Um, and there was moments that there I enjoyed. I but, think they're both better actors than the script, though. Right. I yeah, think the, for sure. You know, I loved her performance. I hated her dialogue. Oh, I hated. I hated um, her. Yeah. She was, but not as an actor, but just like her yeah, character. Yeah. Um, I also, I think there's some like, and he did this also in Possessor. There's a visual language that he uses that I just don't care about, yeah. where it's just that pure psychedelic. Um, lights and flashing colors and stuff that it's to me it's just more annoying than visually stimulating or interesting especially like you have like this crazy orgy going on and understand to obscure some of that you're going to do that but like that's visually crazy in itself like why does it have to be layered with this insane light show um are you interested at all in the crazy X-rated cut he's supposedly putting out, like the not unrated. At all. Yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> no, I feel like I got enough in this version. No, I. This was this was just even that scene just felt very. I I get it, but it was long and overstylized. To what end? Yeah, it it didn't have. If it has a point, I'm I'm fine with 
uh, challenging imagery. If it doesn't have a point, it's just it's just art house porn. Well, I, mean, I think with how easily, like I said, Alex Skarsgård gives in to all this. If that was like this giant moment where he's finally made the turn to giving into this, like this, this um, experience with these people, okay, and like that's like this turning point. But like he gives in from the minute yeah. it starts, so it's just like, oh, it's just it feels like more on top yeah. of more, like more, and it yeah. just wasn't particularly interesting no. to me. No. It just it it's it's salacious for salacious sake. Can there can you gather in, like is there like any benefit to uh, like I'm not going to give it away like but that kind of last hardcore sequence where he's with his double and Mia Goth like is there anything like he's really trying to say from that like <laughs> I I literally didn't. This is the animalistic version of you as a man. Yeah. And you've got to shake off the coward and become more of a man right. to defeat the beast within yourself. Uh, I, I'm telling you, it's like philosophy 101. Yeah. It's yeah. the sort of stuff that uh, professors at colleges cringe at mm -hmm. when students in philosophy class are like, oh, well, imagine if I had to battle the animalistic side of myself. I'm like, oh, <laughs> here this kid is again. Uh, now, I – it's and – and I think – I'm giving him too much credit. When I say I can't decipher what he's trying to say, it's because I'm convinced he's trying to say something more. Right. That's what I mean. But at the end of the day, yeah. I can decipher it. It's just so basic yeah. Yeah. and uninteresting yeah. that I feel like, well, that can't be it. But maybe it can. Mm -hmm. And and if not, you know, then you're failing to unfold your idea and unpack it and uh, and develop it. And then that's your failure as a storyteller, um, rather than my my failure at, at you know interpreting your work. But even that, I don't feel like this is leaving me to interpret it. Yeah, it's so hitting things on the nose that it's it's clearly guiding me towards a conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just it felt too obvious. I think I was so invested or like wanting the more sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Um, body horror angle of this that like I wasn't that I wasn't even paying attention to, or interested in that whole idea of like a man refinding his masculinity and his yep. animalistic side of himself that I was like paying attention to it until you said it and it was just but like it's not I don't know it's not particularly but, but for the most part he's happy at the beginning. He's, yeah, he's in a good relationship. Like, yeah, every now and then she pokes a little bit at the fact that he's basically that a failed she's the writer, that she's the breadwinner. Yeah. But other than that, it's it's not like he's a failure of a human. He's just, you know, maybe he's somebody who doesn't go out and get what he wants. Right. Um, but then what am I supposed to take from this? That, all right, guys, if you can't get what you want, take it. Right. Uh, you know, just... Every time I I kind of go down the logical conclusions that this movie points to, it's it's kind of like, well, that's very 1940s of you. <laughs> um, well, okay. yeah, and I mean, the more interesting angle of like, you are kind of blessed with this opportunity to exploit this system that this small country has put um, in place. 
And then you go down the angle of like, you're just rediscovering your masculinity. Like it just feels lesser in comparison or interest. So I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's. It, it, yeah, skip it. Anyway, our third movie is... Or tell us why we're wrong. That, oh, yeah, yeah sure. I, right I, in I don't and, know. and tell us. Uh, our third movie is a little horror flick, uh, indie flick called Skinamarink. This has actually gotten quite a bit of buzz and people talking about it. It popped up on Shudder. I was excited to dive in. And, and I knew going in that it was kind of weird and different and was supposed to be very dreamlike. So I was prepared for that. Here's the synopsis. Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. In synopsis. This Mm -hmm. is from uh, director Kyle Edward Ball. uh, And it has a cast list, but honestly, I don't know how (laughs) it has a cast list. Clint, (laughs) what did you think of Skinamarink? Um, Which is, side note, a fun word to say. I know. And I wanted to say this movie was made for $15,000. Yes, that's yeah. that's one of the lower budgets I've seen. Yeah. At the same time, after watching this movie, I don't understand how it cost fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> it it really baffles me. Unless they literally built they may the have, house. They may have. I mean, there was probably all sets that they're maybe. Yeah, it's probably a you set. Say so. I don't know. This movie loves sconces. <laughs> What'd you think, Clint? I um I'm gonna say I want to first like preface this with saying like I do not blame anyone if they don't like this movie. Okay. That's that's good to know. <laughs> because this like I will say compared, this is the complete opposite of the two movies we just talked about, <laughs> which are completely like full of decadence yeah. and like um just filled the the brim with like let's all, put as much on the screen as, as we can much possibly as possible, cram in. as many ideas as yeah. we can. I, this was the complete opposite of that, and I honestly really like this movie a, a lot. And I, it's super chal- it's super challenging, and it really is pushing you to the extremes of your attention span. And but I, I kind of really like when a movie is doing that to me, especially when it's lulling. I had I came up with a phrase that is to describe this movie, a dark meditation. Hmm. And it goes through these phases of, especially the early on, is lulling you into this place of wondering, what am I watching? Is this important? Why am I watching this? And then it inter- slowly is introducing this these visuals and these aud- audio um like experiences going on that it really got under my skin. Like, especially certain sequences really got under my skin. And I was like, pretty, like, almost wanting to like, just turn the lights on in my house, like just sitting there watching this thing. And I really um, was just blown away by, I'm not going to like, kind of the courage to make this thing. And the just the idea of let's go as minimal as possible. Let's not really have any actors or uh, like music, like just strip it as far back as we can to be t- uh, being able to tell a narrative. And I, I thought that was fascinating. Just the idea of doing that. Um, I won't say that there were moments that I was 
bored. But all of that I felt was kind of a plus um, to the moments that came after that, which, which would get really under my skin and really creep me out. What'd you think of this movie? I hated this movie. <laughs> I knew you did. For a half an hour. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. A little bit, a little bit of a plot twist here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hated, I, I really hated this movie for a half an hour. Even uh, 20 minutes into it, I thought, maybe I'm tired. I turned it off. I'm going to watch this tomorrow because it's it's very, very slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, started it the next day and just load this movie for a half an hour. After a half an hour, though, uh, things started to happen that did things to me that I don't understand. Me too. I, I had a a feeling of apprehension, then suspension, then pretty pretty much as close to real terror as I think a movie can give you. In like uh, that true feeling of a dream. Yeah. There's there's a scene um, right around that mark where. Uh, the the older sister of the two children goes upstairs. She's called upstairs yeah. by this very oh, strange disembodied voice, voice. Uh, of of her father. Uh, and Father? Is it her father? Maybe. <laughs> she goes up there, and you never see his face. You see him sitting at the side of a bed. Oh. She walks over. He's not moving at all. And he tells her to look under the bed mm-hmm. in this very dead, monotone Look under the bed, and it's it's warbled. It sounds human. It's uh, the closest I've come to that moment moment in like a movie theater where somebody yells out, "Don't look under the bed again!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. and almost did it by myself. I've never been that guy, but I totally agree with oh, you. Yeah. And then the camera POV of the little girl, first person, really, I mean, painfully slowly pans down to even look at <sighs> the bottom of the bed. You feel like. You are this little girl and mm-hmm. your body is, and that's where it was the, it really started to click dreamlike for me. Yeah. Because it's that feeling of, I can't move as yeah. fast as I want to. Yeah. And then it was this desperation not to look under the bed. And then the camera slowly goes down and looks under the bed. And I'm just waiting. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes back up. The father's not there. The mother's on the other side of the bed and she starts talking back under the bed we go and and this just this scene destroys yeah and and virtually nothing is happening and yet everything is happening that's why that and first then, 20 minutes is yep, so powerful that's what finally clicked as to why the half hour the first half hour is what it is and you realize why it's framed a certain way because yep. you were the point of view of this this person like a kid who's you're always looking look, up looking up yeah um, and it I, lulls you into this place yeah. of why, like, this most minuscule things can be powerful. Yeah. Uh, staring at the TV for long stretches of time watching these cartoons, the cartoon always eerily kind of mirroring what's happening in the house yeah. or, or to the kids or things like that. Um, it, it's it's very sh- hard to describe because I, I was simultaneously frustrated that the camera wouldn't drop down and show me what the kids are looking at or where the kids are. You hear the kids, but you can't see them mm-hmm. almost 95% of the time. Occasionally, you see them from the back yeah. moving. But most of the time, uh, it's just this slow, tedious crawl through the house. And you just – everything in you wants – like speed it up. Show me what we're looking at. But then the minute – in those few moments where it shows you. Yeah, and you're like, oh, oh turn, d- away. turn away. Turn, turn away. away, turn away, turn away. 
And it's it's crazy that the movie did that to me. It, I'm frustrated when it's not showing me, but then as soon as it shows me, I just wanted to go back to, uh, you know, like go back to the crown yeah. molding. I just want to see the ceiling again. Yeah, and it conditions you for these dark hallways. Mm-hmm. So the entire time you're expecting something to come yeah. out of it. And and especially it does that um, matrixing thing where it's so grainy in the yeah. way it's the cinematography is done that you're starting to make out like your mind is wanting to create faces yep. in it and like hear voices yep. in the static of it. So it's just like, it becomes this overwhelming thing where like, I cannot stop blink. Like I cannot blink. I simultaneously am staring into the darkness, trying to see what I'm supposed to be looking at. Yeah, but you don't want to see it. <laughs> and at the same time, I don't want to see it. Yeah. It was it was such a wild, that, that contradiction constantly mm-hmm. r- ripped me in half through oh, this yeah. movie. That's even before you, the, the story is incredibly minimalistic. Yeah. But at the same time, you can piece together yep. by the end what you think is happening and yep. what this thing is and what it's been up to. And maybe not everything. It's it, This is what an interpretive movie looks like. Yeah. And the surreal nature of this yeah. house in its, in yeah. its actuality, because yeah. like you read the synopsis for this. I didn't read anything for this. So yeah. I didn't. So I'm still, I'm piecing together. I was like, oh, there's no windows in this house. And wait, this house doesn't have the same proportions of a real house. There's yeah. something very surreal and like labyrinth like about this house yeah. and and I was just like when it would show those like those those shots of things like alluding to that I, w- I was just like oh I was just so t- like taken back and, by it. and I I would bet you anything if they didn't build all of the sets they shot in multiple houses because there's yeah, too many hallways sure. and too right. many rooms you might, and you might be right they all look different and so you know, the kids go down the hall several times or up the steps, and it always looks like a different staircase yeah. or a different hallway, or it it really gives you this very disoriented feel. Yeah. Where you and the angle up, you never know where you are, what's happening. You never know if the camera's going to drop down and see something. Yeah. Um, and then the the last twenty minutes of this movie oh. really go all in and I commit. Know. Yeah. And not in a cheesy way. In a way you're not expecting either. Yeah. Like yeah. I was not gathering that and I was so much more surprised by it than yeah. I thought I was going to be yeah. by the end. Um I I it's weird because I I really by the end of this, I think this is probably the most extreme hate to love reaction I've had across the course of a film. Cause I I couldn't have hated this movie more at the beginning, <laughs> and I couldn't have respected I – mean, I, I wouldn't even say love. I don't know if this is a movie you can love. This is a movie you experience, and you can respect the the experience and the art of it and what it did to you, the viewer. It's much more about what it's doing to you yeah. than is it entertaining you? Is it giving you a coherent story? Is it – it is it is almost manufactured to make you feel things you don't want to feel. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how you can manufacture something more effective at that. I know, I I respect it, and I'm just so interested in the thought process yeah. behind it. Yeah. Like every decision is kind of the opposite of what another horror movie would yeah. make, and I feel like almost like I was watching it, especially early on in this. I was almost feeling like this is the wrong way to present this movie. I would almost like 
in a modern art gallery. Yeah. See this just on the wall, yeah. giant, and you're just it, kind of walking in and out of it. Yeah. And then at certain points you are faced with like these, the big moments of it. Yeah. And it just felt like outside of like normal cinema experience. Yeah. I, this is a movie most people will honestly turn off. They, they won't even make yeah. it far enough into it to, um, to have that experience. I, you know, if I wasn't reviewing it, and honestly, I would have probably just never come back to it. I would have abandoned it too early on mm. uh, and just read about it. Um, you know, it... it but and, even like as much as you like horror, you don't think you would have got yourself it through was, it? It was really... It was not the pace of it. It was the fact that it just kept looking at the ceiling. It was driving my brain nuts mm. to not be able... To, I. I felt like the whole time, and maybe that's because I've done some like amateur videography and stuff. Mm -hmm. The whole time I'm like, camera needs to go down. Camera needs to go down. <laughs> this is driving me nuts that the camera is never going down. Um, you know, it felt it, it too intentionally framed for me to think that yeah. and that uh, there's a, there's a method to the madness. And in this. yeah, that's that also kept me going yeah. because of word of mouth. If I didn't know this had good word of mouth and I just turned it on, uh, you know, yeah, like a normal person who just sure. has shutter and they're like, oh, this looks creepy. I feel like they would turn it off after 20, 30 mm -hmm. minutes and like, what was that? Um, but, you know, just like you said, I would not criticize anybody for even if they feel stuff coming out of this and being like, that was a waste of time. I, I get where that could be the reaction just for me. Anytime something can make me feel, it's already at a higher level. Well, especially terror. If a yeah. horror movie can hit me in that place, then like it's won me over. Especially considering it hardly ever shows you anything. It's I mean, all there's, there's nothing actually terrifying. Um, I love that it's that it's you know or horrifying. Yeah, it's you, there's you terrifying. You hear everything. You yeah. get glimpses of something being weird but it's never like and spoiler uh it's it's never like you see a creature or or anything like that and i was so glad they didn't go in that direction that's I'm what so made it glad it, it remains an entity that is clearly powerful and doing stuff but it's not being seen in a physical form yeah and that's what makes it feel more dreamlike but yeah. also like real when you like hear about ta people talk about ghostly experiences yeah. and stuff and I, I i i did like just i don't know i think i did really love this movie just for the mm -hmm. fact that it was so daring with like every angle of it and um and it well, got me to feel those things i think for me i just automatically register register pretentious when i oh. see something like that mm. uh that's going so against the grain uh and you know most times that has panned out for me where I just walk away feeling like, yep, that was pretentious. Um, but this is not the only time. But this is a really good example of why sometimes uh, just because art is different and daring doesn't mean that somebody's just trying to be different and daring. There could actually be I would say a that real more about, narrative purpose. I would it. say that more about like um, Infinity Pool. Yeah. That this yeah. that felt more pretentious than oh, this yeah. did to me. For sure. This felt for like sure. somebody honestly trying to explore things and stripping back what yeah. a movie can be and cinema yeah. can be um 
in, in, in a very curious way. I, I didn't feel pretentious in it. I felt like yeah. honest exploration. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I definitely got there by the half hour mark. Yeah. And like I said, also, I understood then the, the first half hour. Yeah. It's not like, oh, skip the first half hour. No, no, no. You need that, that build to really experience what this movie has to give you because at the beginning, I so want the camera to move so I can see things. By the end, I just want the camera to go back to not moving. Yeah. Like, please stop going around that corner. Please stop going under that bed. That, please stop walking towards. And that's why I you know. came upon that it's a dark meditation yeah. because that first 20 minutes is your like mantra. Yeah. That you're just repeating to yourself to get you into this place of like being able to experience terror. Yeah. And I thought that was such a fascinating idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it's it's not a coincidence that the children are being handled in the exact same way. Yeah. At first, they're being made to feel mm-hmm. at ease. There's cartoons. There's Legos. Yep. Yep. Yeah, dad's missing, but, you know, you're just up late. Everything's okay. Yeah. Uh, and then the strangeness starts to set in mm-hmm. um, and, and really gives no room for comfort. Yeah. This is this is not a comfortable movie. No. Uh, so yeah, uh Skinamarine, quite a surprise. That brings us to our final film, our Cinetron pick of last week, 2020's Love and Monsters. 7 years after the monster apocalypse, Joel Dawson, along with the rest of humanity, has been living underground ever since giant creatures took control of the land. After reconnecting over the radio with his high school girlfriend, Amy, who is 80 miles away, Joel begins to fall for her again and sets out to find her and reconnect. Clint, what did you think of uh, Love and Monsters? Um, well, I, I was expecting to go into this and it would be kind of one of these slight action thrillers that you kind of just missed that was maybe in the theater for a week or so, like, or a couple weeks and wasn't maybe directly geared towards my demographic of maybe it was more, I don't know, high school age, young adult or something. But I actually enjoyed this movie like relatively well. Like I I thought it was um, the whole setup of this monster apocalypse was kind of fun. I thought that was a different angle for the, like in a post-apocalyptic story that like left room for um, kind of exploring and new things and like these you know, it's the radi- uh, radiated versions of our just natural inhabitants of the earth that we always experience, but blown up to this giant size. That was kind of fun. And I pretty quickly kind of um, came to enjoy our main character. Like I thought he was charming enough and like was believable as this guy who really doesn't feel like he's pulling his weight in this world where he should be more masculine, he thinks, but he's He's kind of, I like the like journey he goes on of like kind of the opposite of Infinity Pool, like realizing that he has a lot more to bring than he thought he did through his skills. He had it inside all along. He had it on, yeah, you didn't have to be more than like you are worth what you are, are able to present to everyone. And I thought it was enjoyable enough. I liked his journey. I thought it was a um, fun little romp. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I I was surprised by how sweet 
this movie is, yeah. and not in a saccharine way. No, in in a really, I I came away from this movie with with affection for it. Me too. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't watch it again. I don't think mm-hmm. uh, if I would have seen this when I was twelve, uh, you know, it, it would be one of those nostalgia classics that I go back to all the time. Yeah. If it had hit me at the right age. And I'm not saying it's juvenile at all. No, no, no. I don't mean that. It's just like I would have like enjoyed this. Or something. Yeah. I would have enjoyed this at a very base level as a younger kid. And then as I got older, grown up with it and found different things in it. Right. That I didn't realize were there when I was a kid. And I just I think this would be kind of in my stable of old favorites from childhood. For sure. Uh, and that's, again, not to belittle it now. It's it's really entertaining. It's surprisingly uh, witty and and funny at times. Um, I thought the effects were really well yeah, done yeah. for what it was. And the creature designs are fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even when they have to go CG, they're weird enough that you can enjoy it. Yeah. And, uh, it seemed like there was a little bit of practical. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's that, definitely a lot of that, especially yeah. close-ups mm-hmm. and and things like that. They're definitely working with um, some models and and some pieces that are real. I um, actually really like that there was a slight. They weren't directly pulling from it, like this Ghibli feel yeah. of like. They're not all monsters. Yeah. Some of them are gentle giants who yeah. are just inhabiting this this world too. And you you get to learn by experiencing them which ones are and which ones aren't yeah. um, you can uh, get around. But And it's the, very rare that a movie like this doesn't have a big bad villain. Yeah. There are, you know, the occasional antagonist in this movie. Uh, there's only really one human antagonist, but that that character only shows up for 15 minutes in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a little vignette kind of episode involving that character, but there's no overarching villain. There's no it's just a kid on a quest to find his his girl. And and even uh, the end of it, um, you know, kind of the resolution of everything, I thought was really kind of poignant. I did too, yeah. Um because it it does not go in the direction you expect, no. especially from the tone of the movie. I think it it has something much bigger to say than just true love wins. Right. Um and and I love how it starts feeling much more like a kids movie, but it ends feeling much more uh, important and mature than a kids movie. Yeah. And I I think it was really brave to to kind of make the decisions they make at the end. I, it had a lot more to say about love and family and relationship and people. And going through a experience in yeah. your life that can change you as a person. Yeah. And um, I also really enjoyed that, like, Michael Rooker was in there. Oh, especially yeah. when you're people that show up for little bits. Especially um, when you're saying there's no big bad, you would almost expect him to with all the roles that he's yeah. played. But he's like this gentle guy who's kind of willing to show him the ropes of yeah. living on the surface. And yeah. um, I really liked his relationship with the little girl he's like yeah. kind of partnered with yep. and taking care of. Or, or actually taking each care of each other. Um, this is this is a, a an idealist, not a cynic's zombie land. Junior. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it has kind of the same function tone and and uh, characters as zombie land but without the cynicism and without the hard violence and without the it's it's just a, a it feels like one of those books I would have read in middle school uh-huh. and just absolutely loved or it could have been a choose your own adventure book or whatever it was it just feels like something I would have it would have leapt off the page at me yeah and I would have been drawing monsters for weeks 
Yeah. Um, I think I was also surprised by it because not tonally, but just like, like we we keep saying it feels like a young adult thing. Um, like the best version of something along the lines of like a twilight yeah. or like one of these young adults or, um, yeah. what was the one, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's. Oh uh, yeah. The hunger games. Hunger games. And... It felt like a much better version yeah. of one of those, but it's just like this one-off thing. Oh, I, I cared about oh, the characters in this movie. Too way more than yeah. any of those uh, other series mm-hmm. that, you know, um, uh, Allegiant was another one. Oh, right. And there, there were a bunch of different series that clearly just wanted to be franchises. Yep. This one just wants to tell a good story. Yep. And if they ever went back to this world, I would actually I'd be watch excited it. to I'd watch be excited. it. I'd probably go to the theater to see yeah. it because I just, I thought it was just a nice little delightful time and like a, a true popcorn flick in, For the, sure. in the best way. Yeah, yeah. Um, not like a comic book movie kind of thing. It just, it really, I was really surprised how much I, I liked the characters. Yeah. I actually, I like you you had said, but I did really like the resolution of this movie, especially yeah. with that final battle and with what he has to do yeah. with the, um, the kind of the antagonistic creature yeah. in that. That was really like, yeah. I don't know, like... Well, and, and even his his family in the bunker at the beginning, you don't get the sense that they're bad people, but you no. feel like they're the emotional antagonist. Right. They're what's driving him forward. And to have that come around was really sweet. Yeah. And, and I just... I, and I, more layered because you almost like realized that he kind of was reading the situation wrong a little yep. bit. Yep. And it was yeah. more in, inside of himself that he was experiencing it that and way. And they're just, they're so, when he first radios back mm-hmm. and he's okay, just the sheer joy he hears over the radio of them being excited for him. Yeah. And it was just, it was such a nice, you just, you don't see that kind of depiction of found family. Right. Uh, yeah. Very often. So. <laughs> cat's getting excited yeah the cat was asleep for like three solid movies there and then the cat just woke up uh (laughs) but oh well so uh going back through babylon oh man trust the reviews on that one uh if you find something that you love about it write in and tell us i'd love to hear it um we did not enjoy it infinity pool we did not enjoy uh it just felt overproduced and and kind of uh Pretentious. Skin of Marink was quite the surprise. Stick with it. Uh, it is definitely daring and challenging, uh, but it rewards those who who go along with it and, and trust in what the filmmakers doing. Give into it. Give into it. Uh, just see what happens. And then Love and Monsters. Love and Monsters, just a, a delightful little surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't believe I enjoyed it as much as I did. I was, I was honestly kind of dreading it going in and just had a good time. So... Yeah. Uh, well done, Cenotron. Speaking of, let's spin up Cenotron. <laughs> Man, the cat's really got something to say right now. Yeah. The cat just leaped up, smashed into the microphone, and pushed the microphone just across my face. Anyway, let's spin up Cenotron and see what uh, Cenotron has for us this week. Let's do it.
Can I got a movie for you? I, I a movie I, on Cinetron. It's oh, crazy. Okay, what do we Didn't got? Didn't give us a record to listen to this Wild. week. Um, so I'm not really familiar with this movie at all. I don't, and I don't know how Cinetron found this one. Um, it, but it's got, um, it's got John Boyega in it. So that's interesting. And this is called Breaking from 2022. I actually have this on my list. I really wanted to watch because it has a very similar plot to Ambulance. Oh. But it sounds like a, a real movie. Awesome. Uh, not an awful time in, yeah. the, in the cinematic world. So awesome. All right. That'll be fun. Yeah. I Like I said, I've been circling this one for quite a while. So I'm all about it. Cool. I'm glad you're familiar with it. Not throwing you a curveball. No, no (laughs) curveball. So as always, you can find us at Cinebabble on Instagram. Uh, You can kind of find us on Facebook, although we we really don't have a presence there. It's Uh, a lot of our political views. Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, You can also find us at www.cinebabblecast.com. Uh, send in any more uh, mailbag letters or emails uh, that you have. We're actually going to do... A, <laughs> Can you send letters, please? Sure. We're going to do an episode next week uh, just of answering questions and reading your thoughts and your impressions of different shows and movies. And those have been really, really interesting. And so I'm excited for that. So uh, tune in next week, or I guess it's not really tuning. It's just uh, cue it up next week and Hit that play we'll see what happens. All right, Clint. It's been a good time trying to keep my cat off the microphone. So uh, now she is biting my wrist. Mm, She's out of her blood. Yeah. So you enjoy yourself, Clint. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.